<clears throat> Greetings in the Master's name. And for the message this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, perhaps I should have mentioned, and maybe everybody's aware of it, that uh, we have fellowship meal on the second and fourth Sunday, so we expect everybody to stay unless you really have urgent uh, obligations someplace else <laughs> um, or other plans. Okay, the uh, title of the sermon is Love Defined or Charity. I wanted to start here. It's kind of interesting. This chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. See, 1 Corinthians 12 is where it says how God has given spiritual gifts and he's placed everything in the body. You know, we have this here uh, uh, analogy or illustration how the body has many members and each has their place and, and we all need each other. And it's talking about the church. Then we have 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Corinthians 14, we have the church functioning and people exercising their gifts. And so why is 13 dropped in between those? Well, it's a pretty good reason. Uh, but anyway, just starting out here at the end of chapter 12, verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, Thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So it says, now, you're the body of Christ and members in particular or members individually. Uh, now, we don't, uh, <clears throat> we have enough of a problem here in the Western world of the focus on the individual. Eastern, it's more the group. But we are individuals. And, and we are, well, we function as individuals. We function for the good of the group, but we still function as individuals. And it says, God hath set. That is a really key idea. God has set or God has appointed, God has placed some in the church. And he gives all these different categories where he placed people. God has given them his place for his purpose, to further his purpose. And it's interesting, in this list, some of the lists where it gives the different responsibilities or the different gifts, it just lists them. Here it says first, second, third, as if it makes a priority. And so the first is apostles, and the second is prophets, and the third is teachers. And then you have miracles, gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues, and it doesn't distinguish between those. So um, it's interesting that every one of the categories in this list that's mentioned are none that we ordain for. We ordain bishops, ministers, and deacons. And they aren't in this list. Whether that's significant or not, I'm not saying that's significant. Uh, maybe some people would make parallels between apostles, prophets, and teachers, but you don't. We don't necessarily ordain prophets. Uh, some 
some preachers are prophets and some aren't. Um, but um, anyway, be that as it may. Apostle is a messenger or an ambassador. A prophet is an inspired speaker. And teachers, we know what they are. We're thankful for them. And then miracles, healings, and tongues, we tend to minimize those gifts. And then helps is like giving relief. I like that gift because, you know, some people, like it says, not everybody's prophet, not everybody's apostle, not everybody's a teacher, and so on. But just about everybody can be a helper. But then some people have a special gift in being a helper, but it's giving relief. And then governments is administrative roles to steer. Then verse 29 says, is everybody an apostle? Is everybody a prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Or is everybody a worker of miracles? Obviously not. Uh, it's pointing out. So it's pointing out that God has given each person their place for his purpose. And so it's emphasizing what this, what, what, what these verses are showing is that it's emphasizing diversity and interdependence. We're different. So there is diversity. But in the midst of that diversity or with that diversity, <clears throat> there is interdependence. And so that's coming through really strong. <clears throat> and, it, and it's saying that in this, in, it's, this is the end of chapter 12. And what chapter 12 is emphasizing and showing <clears throat> is that God doesn't intend for anybody to be self-sufficient. We need each other. So here's all these gifts, but God has given the gifts. And so we should be satisfied with what God did. God knows what he's doing. And so all these different gifts, I, I really, and it, this really does, uh, this work, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 really comes in here because I should not be jealous of somebody else. I should be satisfied with my gift. I should, I should rejoice with somebody else's gift and so on. Um, a couple things that people said about this as I was studying. God did not want anyone to be self-sufficient. He so arranged things that all the brethren should need each other. God arranged things so that all everyone needs each other. God did not make anybody where they can do it all themselves. <clears throat> Erdman said, no member of the church is self-sufficient, however great his gifts may be. So then we get to the end of that chapter, and it says, covet early to the best gifts. Well, listed a bunch of them. How many was it? Uh, didn't count them. But it says, covet the best one. And then it says, I show you a better way. I show you a better way in all these gifts that were listed. Is charity a gift? It didn't list it as a gift. But it's a better way. Uh, you know... <clears throat> It'd be nice to be able to work miracles, <clears throat> and I think we could. I mean, if the situation called for it and we had the faith and miracles, healings, I don't think they were just relegated. In fact, I know they weren't just relegated to the early church. So wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that? 
But it says there's something better than that. And so um, I show you a more excellent way. Uh, one person commenting on this said, a little love is worth more than any amount of eloquence, learning, or ecstasy. A little love is worth more than any amount of eloquence, learning, or ecstasy. Now, when we get in here to love and charity, I think we most of us know that the word is agape. There were three Greek words, maybe more, but the three we usually think about is eros and phileo and agape. Uh, eros and phileo refer to love of the deserving with the desire to possess. Loving, love of the deserving. You love someone because uh, you think they deserve it, something they draw out of you, or, or maybe love with the desire to possess. That'd be more eros. Agape is love which gives. See, how does it say in Romans 5, 8, for God commendeth his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That would certainly be agape. So then the first three chapter, first three verses of chapter 13, well, I'll just read them. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And they'll have the gift of prophecy, and that's one of the gifts that were mentioned up there. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and they'll have all faith that I could move mountains. I mean, this, this fellow's powerful. And have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it promises me nothing. That one comes maybe a little closer home to me, a little bit the way I've lived. But it says, if I've, you know, I give everything. I give everything. And it says, give my body to be burned. Well, I think that's probably maybe, I don't know exactly what's going on there, whether, what kind of a situation that would call for. We do talk about burnout. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily talking about burnout. But, you know, if I serve others to the point where I burn out, and it says, <clears throat> and I don't have charity, it doesn't, it, it's not worth anything. Those are pretty strong statements. Um, Someone outlined First uh, Corinthians 13 this way. Verses 1 to 3 talk about the futility for their possessor of spiritual gifts without love. The futility for their possessor of spiritual gifts without love. So it's showing the necessity of love. Verses 4 to 7 are love's characteristics with the nature of love. And verses 8 to 13 are love's permanence, the permanence of love. Just a few more introductory comments. Erdman's said this way, verses 1 to 3, without love, no gift or talent is rightly used. There's talented people. And you, you might be a talented person. But it says, without love, no gift or talent is rightly used. Without it, Christian profession is a pretense. Without love, Christian profession is a pretense. Without love, Christian service is fruitless. Without love, spiritual gifts are useless. Without love, spiritual gifts are useless. Now, how do you define love? Is, the, is this chapter a definition of love? Well, it's love in action. It's love in action. It tells what love does. It tells what love refrains from doing. 
and tells how love manifests itself. And so I want us, oh, okay, now I want uh, uh, um, Mark and uh, Joe to hand out these papers. Okay, now I want to go over this paper um, because these are the phrases in verses 4 to 7, and this is love defined. <clears throat> Charity suffereth long. That's the first phrase <clears throat> in verse 4. Charity suffereth long. The um, And these are some of the um, other descriptors <clears throat> that expand on the idea of charity suffering long. Uh, involved in charity suffering long is patience. It endures long. It's long-suffering under injuries. It doesn't give place to bitterness and wrath. And um, different times in Sunday school lessons, we uh, that comes up, you know, when tough times come our way, how do we respond? Do we get bitter? Well, a person who's suffering long, he doesn't get bitter. It harbors no resentment. And, um, yeah, we have to kind of pack this here uh, because this could greatly be expanded on. You know, harbors no resentment. You ever resent other people? You ever get in a situation where you're resentful? It says when you're long-suffering, you don't get resentful. You forgive endlessly. You meekly and patiently bear ill treatment. Now, you might bear ill treatment, but you might not always do it meekly and patiently. And it's passively long-tempered. Um, now, something that goes along with this, and maybe it would go along with other phrases in here too, but a couple verses that I thought maybe fit here. Um, Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You know, there are things that are true, so you might as well tell other people, right? Keep them informed. He that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. And there's another one that's even stronger than that. Um, Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Do my words pierce? Or are they healthy? You see, if I'm long-suffering, I'm going to bear these things rather than speak some words that pierce. Okay, charity is kind. Give me a verse on kindness. Okay, somebody give me the reference. Close. 432, yeah. When you memorize scripture, you should always memorize the reference with it. But... Um, Okay, Ephesians 4.32. Okay, and it's kind. Kind, gracious, actively generous and helpful, active in conferring good, gentle, benign, pervading and penetrating the whole nature, mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere. 
a soft expression, not a severe expression. And there's verses that go along with that one too. Um, well, Jesus, there at the beginning of his ministry, it says people wondered at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. I wonder how often people could say that about me. Sometimes I get a little, uh, what's the word, acerbic, uh, a little, um, um, acidic. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, in my speech, it's not always gracious words. It can be a little bit sharp. Uh, sometimes, well, I don't know, I could justify myself. Sometimes I do it to get my point across, you know. Uh, but anyway. But mellowing, mellowing, in this kind, this is, these are things I picked up as I studied this. When I studied it extensively, you know, like I, I um, probably got some of these out of the New Testament from 26 translations. The New Testament 26 translations takes verses and it takes a phrase and then it takes it, it, it takes a bunch of different uh, translations of that phrase. It doesn't give 26 for every phrase, but it picks from 26 different translations. So I probably got some of, that out, some of this out of that. But also additional comments. But anyway, I like that statement. Mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere. Okay. Proverbs 31:26. In the tongue is the law of kindness. Kindness. I think one time I, I had a, an untopical program. I had a topic on kindness. And, I, and it kind of um, impressed me. Uh, the way we describe other people. How many people that you, I mean, without really trying to, 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 to really, de just immediately, just immediately, when you think of other people, how many come to your mind as someone who's an epitome of kindness? We were at Brushy Run at that time, I think, and I thought of one person right away. This is a kind person. But I don't know if we think of a lot of people that that's the descriptor we would give them. So it's kind of a challenge. Okay, charity envieth not. Charity does not begrudge others their gifts. It's not jealous at the success or gifts of others. When surpassed or excelled by others, it harbors no irritation, feels no distress. And I'll guarantee you that comes pretty close home. When somebody surpasses you, oh, you're just as happy as you can be about it. Um, actually, this didn't bother me. Um, probably there's some times when things do bother me. But when I taught at North Fork, I taught for seven years. And I had trained to be a teacher. That was felt like that was my calling. And I was teaching the high school students. There were about seven of them usually. And then I got to the point where I got too old and grouchy, I guess, to teach. Anyway, um, so then they were looking for other teachers. And they had asked Colleen Harlow. She was teaching here at Berea. Of course, she was teaching at Berea. So she said, ask my little brother. Well, her little brother was Sterling. Uh, but anyway, so he came and he taught. Well, I had a college education. I was trained to be a teacher. Sterling, I suppose he graduated from high school. And he taught them students so much more than I could. He taught them to tan hides. They built a shop for Paul Hartzler. He taught them to sing. I mean, he taught, really taught them to sing. 
And that was the last thing I could do. And so he did so much more for him than I could. But was I jealous? Well, I had done the best. I think I had pretty, well, maybe not the ultimate best, but I, I really tried. I did, the, I did the best I could. And he did what he could do. And so that's all that God expects. So even though he did better than I did, I, I, I was, it wasn't because I was a slacker. And so I wasn't really, I was, I was thankful that, that Sterling could go in there and do all that stuff. I mean, that was good for the, for the students. But this comes pretty close home sometimes. Okay, charity Vaughn is not itself. And, and we try to stay away from that. We're humble people, you know. We don't brag. But sometimes we say things that kind of cast us in a good light. We like to do that. Tell about something, and we kind of came out on the good end of it. Um, so anyway, in fact, well, charity on and on itself. We have different personalities, okay? And some people, they just rather stay in the shadows. Some people are more out. They're the social butterflies and so on. But somebody told me one time, said, you'd like to be the center of attention. And, well, to a certain extent, you know, Okay, um, so yeah, a person's got to watch that, especially depending on your makeup. Okay, it's not puffed up. These 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 kind of some of these kind of fit together and they kind of flow one from the other. But not arrogant, not proud, not conceited. Doesn't display itself haughtily. Doesn't have an inflated ego. I tell you, well. This is an extreme case. But there was a really nice girl one time that was an artist at CLP. She was single. And she ended up marrying a fella from an elite uh, conservative midnight school. Let me just put it that way. Like Berea. I mean, I'm, I wasn't Berea, okay? But anyway, this guy, he was very popular and so on. And I don't know how she missed seeing his true character. But anyway, that marriage ended up, he, he, he was just so full of himself that the marriage didn't last. Inflated ego, not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude, unmannerly, indecent. Does not act unbecomingly. Love does nothing to raise the blush. And hopefully we don't have too much trouble with that. But there are people that will say things. They call it, we call them double entendries or something, however you say that word. And it's something that's kind of innocent, but it's got a little bit of hint to it that's on the salacious side. And that should never be said of us. It's courteous. It's polite. Can give no discomforting embarrassment. Now, I, I don't know. Uh, this is maybe a little bit of discomforting embarrassment. Uh, they say... I ought to ask Howard if this is really true, but Howard Bean, you know, he's got away with words. Well, he married Arnold Good's sister, I think it was, and I guess she had to get used to Howard. But the story is that soon after they were married, somebody asked him how his wife was, and he said she's no good because she wasn't a good anymore. She was a bean. But uh, <clears throat> so she was maybe a little bit embarrassed. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> 
But anyway, adverse to all unseemly contentions. Now, seeketh not her own. Unselfish, not self-seeking, doesn't insist upon its rights. And this is the key one here, seeketh not her own. It's deeper than justice. That's significant, deeper than justice. Does not insist on its own way and does not pursue selfish ends. And we have verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And well, we understand what that means, another person's welfare. Uh, look, not every man his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Okay, number eight, it's not easily provoked, not irritable, not touchy, ready to take offense. Something was said this morning in Sunday school class, and I forget um, exactly what it was, but I thought about... Um, I know it's about faith, and I forget where it came in, but I was thinking about you know when you're when you're really tired and and you're really frustrated and so on, um, you can get provoked. Well, charity is not easily provoked. It's not irritable. It's not touchy. You ever get touchy? I think my wife can probably tell when I'm grouchy. Maybe a little more touchy. It's not fretful, it's not resentful, it's not irritated, provoked, exasperated, aroused to anger. When everything seemingly goes wrong, are you about ready to explode? Well, not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, not resentful, bears no malice, keeps no register of wrongs and so harbors no resentment, does not take into account a wrong. When, 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 when you... Okay, when you're on the short end of something, when you suffer wrong, um, maybe it's not intentional. Does it just run off of you like water off a duck's back, like they say? Or does it stick to you? Pays no attention to a suffering wrong. Keeps no score of wrongs. The bishop told me one time, you know, after, after all, you know, you need to do, you need to have documentation for the decisions you make and so on. You need to you like to keep a record of how things went and so on. And bishop told me one time he cleaned out a lot of his files. He said it really wasn't healthy for him to keep all that stuff. Keeps no score of wrongs. Let's see. Samuel Johnson said something like this. Where do I have that? The true man. Okay, this comes in somewhere else. I had it here in my notes. Maybe I'm not quite sure why I put it here, but the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. The true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. Okay, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Um... Rejoices not in iniquity, cannot share in the glee of the, un, of the successful transgression. You know, there are things that we would never do, but somebody else might do them and we'd chuckle. Rejoices not in iniquity. Takes no pleasure in injustice. Never glad when others go wrong. Hey, when you're opponent, somebody in the church that's always got a different idea than you and is always putting a roadblock in the things you want to do or maybe in conference, they're always on the other side of the issue and then something comes up where uh, 
Maybe there's a little shadow cast on them. Ha ha, isn't that good? Never glad when others go wrong. Does not gloat over other men's sins. Finds no secret satisfaction in discovering the moral weakness of an opponent. Well, I tell you, that's the total opposite of politics. Does not rejoice in the opportunity to sense your wrong. Ah, I, 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 there, I saw it. He needs a good talking to. Maybe he does. But does not rejoice in the opportunity to censor Rome. Okay, rejoices in the truth. And by the way, the, both of these words are rejoices. Rejoices and the word for rejoices in the truth, they're not the same Greek word. The word for rejoices in the truth is a stronger rejoice than the one that rejoices not in iniquity. Look them up. Do word study. It's always glad, always glad when right prevails. Always glad when truth defeats slander. Always glad when suspicions are proved unfounded. You know, there's this there's little there's this little rumor going around, you know, and it's really juicy. And then it's not true. Oh, that's too bad. It rejoices when suspicions are proved unfounded. That's charity. Love is glad my God. Beareth all things. Throws a kindly mantle over others' faults. Others' faults. You know, when we smell like a skunk and somebody throws a mantle over it, that's charity. Covers or endures all things. Always protects, slow to expose. Overlooks faults, bears up. No limit to its endurance. Okay, believeth all things. Never loses faith, always trust, cherishes faith in persons under suspicion, credits others with good intentions, eager to believe the best of every person. That's the opposite of suspecting motivations. There's no limit to its faith, no end to its trust. And all these could be greatly expanded on, but we're just about out of time. It hopes all things. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. You know this thing, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Reminds me, this uh, family, sort of a family, I guess if you could call it a family. Uh, some Bible school children, we were relating to the home, and, <clears throat> well, it was a long story. But this, this lady, she was going to go to court for some things, and her lawyer wanted me to be there to, in case I would need to testify and would look good for her and so on. Well, it, it, it turned out, that she was a professional liar. She had me and the lawyer fooled. And after it was all over, the lawyer said something about my cynical. And I said, well, not exactly. Um, he said, well, I am. He said he had so many cases that way already in his life. He tries to help people, and then it turns out that way. So what about it? <clears throat> Well, maybe this is talking about charity among the brothers, but maybe it's further than that too. But you, 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 you keep hoping. Hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, expecting ultimate triumph for the grace of God, endures all things, endures without limit, endures without weakening, holds fast under burdens of delay, 
bears all things, doesn't lose heart nor courage. When love has no evidence, it believes the best. When the evidence is adverse, it hopes for the best. When hopes are disappointed, it still courageously waits. Now, your assignment. Uh, we're not going to close until you do your assignment. And it's going to take a few minutes. Uh, I didn't bring pencils. You need pencils. Okay. How many of you need pencils? Raise your hand. Okay. Several people need pencils. Can you find some, Joe, and hand them out? Because what I want you to do, there's 15 things here. And I want you to go through, and I want you, the ones that you're best at, the one, I mean, you're better at some of these things than others. I want you to number the ones you're best at, like one, two, three, four. Those are the ones that you are score at the top. The ones that you're weakest on and you need to really work on, see, that would be 15, 14, 13, 12, and so on. So you order these in according to how well you have a handle on them. Okay, understand? So you should get, when you get done with this, you would have them numbered from 1 to 15, where the, the, one, the, the lower numbers are the ones that you're better at, and the higher numbers are the ones you're weaker on. And I've done this several times. I don't know, maybe I should do it again. <clears throat> I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Well, uh, if you're like me, you're not anywhere near done. It takes for me to try to figure this out where I am. I got the first three done, and then most of the rest of them fall towards the end, and I've got to figure out how to categorize them from 15 backwards. <laughs> and so, uh, but I would like for you to try and finish it. Take it home and try and finish it. Um, just a couple more thoughts here. Sigmund Freud, who wasn't a Christian, said this, It is always possible to bind together a considerable number of people in love so long as there are other people left over to receive the, manif to receive the manifestations of their aggression. It is always possible to bind together a number of people in love so long as there are other people left over to receive the manifestations of their aggression. Well, in John 13, 1, it says, Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. Love never collapses, never fades out. And then uh, I didn't read the verse... Four, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that we may prophesy. But follow after charity is the thought there. It's more to be desired than any gift, however attended, that may be by marvel or mystery or miracle. And a verse here yet from 1 Peter. There are several from 1 Peter, but I'll just read the one. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Peter 1.22 Okay, let's kneel for prayer.
Father, we thank you for your love to us and how that makes possible for us to have fellowship with you, uh, to be restored to a right relationship with you because of your great love in sending Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again to give us power to uh, live above Satan, to live in victory. And so, fathers, we look into your word and we see what you call us to. May we um, appropriate your grace, uh, allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives to mold our character to more nearly match uh, your character, your love. And so as we relate to one another in a day-to-day -day way that uh, we might think on these things and allow them to control our thoughts and responses and actions. Father, we uh, thank you for your interest in our needs, our physical needs, our mental, emotional needs, our spiritual needs. So we look to you to continue to watch over us. And, and uh, again, I pray that as we face another week that uh, you would protect us from the evil one. As temptations come our way, we may uh, maintain a proper perspective as we've been to your house here today to look into your word that it might give us strength and direction for the days ahead. Forgive us where we displease you and, and may we uh, desire to do what is right in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.